one king who chose to be born as a baby. And that's the king who we celebrate today, his birth. And to help us celebrate that, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 for just a few minutes. And uh, we've been going through the last several weeks a series leading up to today. And that is to look at the cast of Christmas and to see how God used different people and how each person fits into that narrative and, and how this story of the, the birth of Jesus really begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where God made a promise that he was going to send the seed of woman to crush Satan's head. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, that God uses prophets as part of this Christmas narrative, as part of the story of the incarnation. And, and we certainly know the people that we associate with the nativity scene, the, the angels and, and the shepherds, and a few months later, the magi. But I want you to understand that the cast of Christmas also involves you. Because the gift of God is given for you. God did not send Jesus to the earth because God needed something for himself. God sent Jesus to this earth for us. You know, one of the things we always associate with this time of year is giving or gifts. In fact, you may have already opened some. I'm sure all of our deacons got their coal this morning, and, and I'm sure they found that right. Okay, I got some too. Don't worry, we're in the same boat. Uh, maybe you'll receive some, some later today. That's kind of just a thing that we give gifts on the first Christmas it was the world who received a gift from God in that Jesus left his throne in heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh, and came to this earth, born in a small town in a small feeding trough. Jesus was God's gift to the world. And the salvation that is possible through Jesus is his gift to the world. Y'all awake? Okay. I, I said I was going to preach a shorter sermon today. I ain't got to, though. Okay? I've got a couple hours worth. Notice the emphasis in our text, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. This is a, a prophecy. For time's sake, I won't delve into the details of it. It's a prophecy that was spoken by Isaiah about the coming of Messiah and this is part of that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. As I thought about this text, and I've been thinking about this text for the last few weeks, knowing I would be preaching on it here on Christmas morning, the words that kept grabbing my attention, they're in the very first part of that verse. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That wording is it's very unique in, in how Isaiah writes. In fact, how all the authors of the 
Bible right. Usually when a child is born, it would be like uh, Isaac was born to someone. Jacob was born to so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, all the begatting that takes place in the Old Testament. That whenever you see someone's name, it's always that a son is born to this person, to this father. But here Isaiah says, you know what? This son is born to us. This child is born to us. This son is given to us. Isaiah's use of that is mimicked by the angels when they offer the declaration in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 when they say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those words were spoken to shepherds who had zero influence in the decision of God to send Jesus into the world. And the message applies to you and I today. Jesus was born unto us because his birth was not simply just a blessing to his parents, but a blessing to the entire world. Jesus is God's gift to us. Jesus provided a way for salvation to be received by grace through faith. That is the gift of Jesus to us. So this morning, very briefly, or should I just say shorter than I might normally do, I want to share with you three reasons why God's gift of Jesus is the best gift. First is this. God's gift is the best gift because of the heart of the giver. Okay, the gift of God is the best gift because of the heart of the giver. I, normally when I ask questions, I want participation. For this next couple of questions, maybe not so much because the person may be sitting by you, all right? Is there someone on your list of people to receive gifts and they are there on their list because basically they just have to be on your list? (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know that great theological uh, treatise of a movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There's a scene in there where, where Clark carries his boss a gift, and, and he brings it to the room, and there's this long table, and uh, his boss says, just put the gift at the table, and he puts the gift on the table, and the table is full of gifts that look exactly like the one he put on there that just wrapped a different paper. Someone in that context was giving a gift because they felt obligated to give a gift. Have you ever done that? You ever given a gift because you just kind of felt obligated to give that gift, not because there was any meaning behind it? Listen, God was not obligated to give us the gift of Jesus. Jesus was not obligated to give us the gift of himself. God does not need us for him to be God. Jesus Jesus does not need us for him to be God. They did not give this gift of Jesus to us out of obligation. God gave us the gift of Jesus because he loves us. As John 3.16 tells us, 
that God loved the world so much that it moved him to action, it moved him to giving, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen, hear me this morning. God set his unconditional love upon the crown of his creation. That is you and that is me. His love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. His love for you is not based on how well you perform for him. God loves you because of his character, not your character. He simply chooses to love us. That love moved him to action so that he gave his only son. That is his heart for you. And you will not find that kind of love anywhere else. God's gift is the best gift because of the heart of the giver. Second, God's gift is the best gift because it meets our deepest need. Again, not necessarily out loud, have you ever received a gift that really served no purpose in your life? (laughs) Oh, we're ready to testify now. For example, If someone gifted you blinker fluid for your vehicle, that's a useless gift. Now, a few of you are Googling, why is blinker fluid a useless gift? Or dehydrated water, that's a useless gift. You just add water. There are some gifts that we receive that really don't serve a purpose. It's going to happen at some point. You're going to receive something that meets absolutely zero need (laughs) in your life. God's gift of Jesus, this child born to us, this son given to us, that gift is the greatest gift because Jesus meets our greatest need. Now, you may think that you have an understanding of what your greatest need is, and look, you, you may be right, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me share with you from what God has written, if we believe God's word to be true, which I do, what is our greatest need? And I, I think Paul framed it best when, when he wrote in Galatians chapter 4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might be placed in a new family, a family of righteousness, a new kingdom, a kingdom of light and not darkness. Our greatest need, I don't have a clue what's under your tree. I don't know what's under my tree yet. We ain't gotten that far in our day. I don't have a clue what's under your tree, but I guarantee you, your greatest need, what you have under there, is not going to meet your greatest need, because your greatest need is was found in its infancy in a manger that culminated at a cross and an empty tomb. Amen. Our greatest need is 
redemption because our sin has condemned us before God and our sin has sentenced us to eternal separation from God. But then Jesus came, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus was born. Jesus grew. Jesus lived the life that I could never live, a life that is free from sin. And then Jesus died. He died in my place, paying the price for my sin so that through him I could have a restored relationship with God. I could be redeemed from the law that condemns me, my greatest need was to have my severed relationship with the Father restored. And Jesus is the only one who is qualified to restore that relationship. And he's the only one who paid the price to restore that relationship. He is the greatest gift because he meets my greatest need. Third, God's gift is the best gift because of its return policy. Tomorrow, shops are closed today, most. But tomorrow, in the days that follow, many, many people are going to stand at customer service counters across this great county <laughs> to return a gift that they received today that is not needed or that does not fit. Many a computer mouse this evening <laughs> will click the start a return link on Amazon's website. <laughs> now some of you who are laughing uncomfortably are doing so because you've already clicked the link this morning. <laughs> when you return those gifts, you better know the return policy, or you may be stuck with a shirt that is two sizes too small. God's gift, God's gift, Jesus, has a return policy, but it's a completely different type. You see, we've just come through a season of Advent. We have just come through a season in which we have celebrated Advent. And Advent, as we have experienced here, as we see these candles as they were lit every single week, Advent is that period of preparation for the arrival of someone who is expected to show up. Now, we've been marking Sundays the last several weeks as we remember the original period of Advent. Advent of wait when the world was waiting for Jesus to be born. But my friend, our Advent is not over. For you see, as the people of God, we have been in an Advent, Advent season since the ascension of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. We are right now in a period of preparation, waiting for someone to return who has promised to return. We are expecting him to show up. God's gift showed up in a manger and a 
eventually went to a cross and was placed in a tomb only to be revived and resurrected three days later by his own power, then ascended back to his Father in heaven where he is right now, but Jesus is not yet done fulfilling his promises. But our citizenship, Paul says, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my friend, God's gift, Jesus, is going to return. He has a return policy. Let us today celebrate the fact that God sent his son and let us anticipate the day when he will send him one more time to gather his people together to right every wrong that this world and our sin has messed up and to wipe every Every tear from the face of our eyes and to fulfill the hope that we have in him. So then, what do we do as we wait? What do we do as we wait for God's gift, Jesus Christ, to return? I could spend a whole other sermon talking about that, but we'll, we'll handle that in the Sundays to come, how about? One of the things that we're told to do as we wait for Jesus to return is to remember his death. And of course, remembering his death, we must also remember the fact that he was born, which we celebrate today. And one of the ways we do that is through something called the Lord's Supper, which if it's before lunch, I guess we call it the Lord's lunch. I, I prefer communion seems to, to work well. Now, let me just share a word or two about communion. We're not forcing anyone to participate in this at all. Uh, as you came in and you, you, you saw the bulletins that we had, there's some information in there that just says, hey, you know, there's a, there's a verse in Corinthians where Paul tells us to examine ourselves. And I, I hope that you spent some time this morning before God examining yourself. Here at, at First Baptist, our practice is that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as personal Savior, and if you are a member of a church that believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven, you're more than welcome to participate, but you shouldn't feel compelled to, okay? But if by chance, if you didn't pick up one of these before we, we take part, if you didn't pick up these, would you be Baptocostal for just a second? I'm not asking for both hands, just one hand. If you'll just stick your hand there, <coughs> and we'll make sure that our deacons get one to you. We'll make sure everyone who would like to participate has the ability. Okay, I think we're good. Thank you, gentlemen. As you see these communion elements, you've got the top part that has the bread in it. You've got the bottom part that has the juice. There's nothing supernatural about these elements. These are just symbols. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 26. After he gave some instructions about communion, he said, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the, club, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
until his return policy is fulfilled. So this morning, I would just invite you, if you'd like to participate, to remove the lid on the top, which has the bread. The bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus that was taken and broken for us. The body of that baby in that manger that grew, that became strong, that endured the most torturous death a man could ever endure to pay for my sins and yours. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you'll just turn your cup over, you have the juice. You should be able to carefully lift that lid off and have access to that. A lot of people today don't like to talk about the idea of the blood, but Scripture's clear. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his blood. He died a real death. He poured out that blood that helped him live as he died. Paul said, as he continued, in the same way Jesus, with his disciples, he took that cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Anytime the gospel is shared and the death of Jesus is remembered, we want to give you the opportunity to reflect upon that and to respond to it. So we're not going to sing a song right now, but what we are going to do is I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're just going to have this this, uh, time of, of reflection for you to think about the birth of Jesus. And for you to respond to his presence in your life or maybe he doesn't have a presence in your life and your response would be to ask him to be your Lord and Savior. We're not going to take long. We're going to take a few minutes for you to just bow your head and pray where you are. The altar is open. I'm going to stand down here for just a couple of minutes. If you've got questions about what it means to make Jesus Lord, we invite you to take advantage of this opportunity to ask those questions. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes for just a couple of minutes? Would you reflect upon what Jesus has done for you?